in the midst of struggles, difficulties, and doubts, there are two types of people. One type of person cries out to God, but God, when is this going to end? But God, how do we know? In other words, God, how do I know that I could trust you right now? That's the first type of person. The other type of person does not say to God, but God, how do we know? But says to man, man, how do we know God is going to pull through for us? How do we know we could trust God? In other words, one type of person goes to God. The other type says, prove it to me. The point here is you've got to go to God. It is so good to have people around you in your life that you could wrestle through these difficulties with and ask them to help you get to God. But at some point, you have to go directly to Him. We must take our doubts, our struggles, and our difficulties right to Him. So the Christian, look, here's what you're doing. You're bringing fear to God. You're bringing all your fears directly to God and you're saying, God, give me some security. Remind me why I am a Christian. Remind me that these promises really are true. The challenge before you today is this. If you are not a Christian, the challenge before you is to stop going to Christian friends and ask them, but how do we know this about God? And go right to God. And if you are a Christian, the challenge is for when you face difficulties and when you're feeling doubts, that you would go right to God and wrestle through it with God. Because if you don't, it's going to lead to some tragic choices in your life. And you are going to make some mistakes that you later look back on and you say, man, I was just operating out of fear when I did what I did. That's what we see in the story of Abraham today. The main thing that you need to hear today is to be patient as you are waiting on God to deliver on all of his promises. And in the waiting, God is going to increase your faith. So here's our verse, and we got to read a lot. It's a whole chapter plus two verses. Genesis 15, all the way through chapter 16, verse 2. It'll be up on the screen. If you want to open your Bibles and read along with me or open your phones, that would be awesome. So here we go. Genesis 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield, your reward. It shall be great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought, them, brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring, offspring be. And he believed in the, Lord, in the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from the land of Ur to the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat, 
three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half, and when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell on him. And the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they, they shall come back here. In the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, this, this, is, this is a weird part. A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces, these dead animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And the land of the Kenanites, the Kenizzites, the Kedmoronites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. He had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. All right, so I need to give you some background here. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on. And if you haven't been here for the few weeks, it's even a little bit more confusing. So let me just catch you up. We're in our series called New Beginnings 2.0 and in the book of Genesis. And the word Genesis means beginning. In the beginning, everything was good. It was the way it was meant to be. And then tragedy struck. Now what happened when tragedy struck? Humanity went from being at peace with God and each other to fighting. What happened that caused this? Humanity wanted to take things into their own hands. Humanity felt like God was holding out on them. And they began to not trust God. And so there was this tree with this fruit. And the main thing God said is, don't eat that fruit. But they said, no, 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 no. God's holding out on us. Let's take the fruit and let's eat it. And as soon as that happened, everything fell apart. Not trusting in God led to humanity's inability to live with each other. And it's why today you have a distrust toward a good and perfect God. Now, let's do this. Let's take the temperature of our society today. We are running hot, and we are sick. And if you want to get to the root of the problem, you've got to go all the way back to Eden. The scene where Adam and Eve took the fruit, this small act of distrust towards God, set everything into a tragic spiral. And now we long to get back to life in Eden. And we groan for it. We long for that land. And we can't get back there. But then God makes a promise 
to the seed of Adam and Eve. In other words, they're going to have a kid who's going to have a kid who's going to have a kid. And that kid is going to rise up and lead them, be this rescuer that leads them back to Eden. And so Adam and Eve first think it's Cain. But Cain kills his brother, so that doesn't work out. Then Adam and Eve say, okay, well, they're gone. Now Noah's here. Noah is the great hope. And Noah takes his ship and finally gets back to the land that's supposed to represent Eden. And as soon as Noah gets there, he messes up. And then we arrive at Abram. And today we see that Abram becomes the great hope. And so God makes this promise to Abram. He says, leave the land that you're in and go to Eden. And so Abram's saying, okay, we're going to get back. We're going to get there. And so God says, go. And guess what else? Sarai, his wife, is barren. He says, you're going to have a child. And so they set out. And they leave and they go out into the unknown. They don't know where this place is going to be and they don't know when they're going to have kids. But they're trusting God. So they go. And that's what faith for us looks like. We're going out into the unknown and we do not know what's happening next. But we have to trust God. So in our text today, we see it's 10 years later. Sarai has no child and they have no idea where this land is. They followed God out into the unknown, no Eden and no kid, and it's been 10 years. And so Abram's thinking like, the call from God seems so clear. Like I felt, I felt him. I knew it was right to go, and now I'm questioning everything. Our text says that he's fearful, he was scared. Maybe he, made, maybe he felt he made a mistake. Maybe he's, he felt like, man, what's going on? I had this great hope. Maybe God's holding out on me. And, and God starts seeing what's happening to Abram. And he's saying, oh my gosh, it's happening all over again. Adam and Eve all over again. And so God gets involved. And he, he, he sees the fear. And so God intervenes and he says, fear not, Abram, for I am your shield and your reward will be great. All right, let me try talking to the kiddos real quick. Let's try it. All right, so normally you're in the grove. You get to run around. Grove kids, you run around, and you're noisy in here. I'm trying to get you to be quiet, but it's not working really well. But that's okay. Do you know when kiddos, kiddos, can you hear me? Do you know when you ask your parents if you could do something, and they say no? What do you say? Why? Why why are you saying that? Why do the kids say that? Their kids are saying that because you think, They think you're holding out on them. They're not trusting you a little bit. Now, is it wrong for them to ask that question? Well, maybe not. That's exactly what Abram's doing right here. He's saying, okay, God, you told me this. I'm asking you, but when, God? And you're not, like, when is this going to happen? He's saying, why? Like, why are things going this way? You made this promise, and it's not happening. So, like, you know this. Like, if you tell your kids you're going to Disney World this year, the very next day they say, when are we going to Disney? And you say, not today. And they say, but, I, but why? You said we were going to go to Disney. Why aren't we going today? Because today is not the day. This is exactly what's happening with Abram. Are you guys doing good? Are you, are you focused? Is the experiment working? Okay. So Abram wants to go to this place that's far better than Disney. And he's not there. And he's not arrived there yet. And he's getting frustrated. And he was promised his whole, he's going to have this huge family and there's no kids yet. So he's scared. All of us have this tendency 
where we think God is holding out on us. Guys, you've got to try to hear me. This is a very important. We have a tendency to think God is holding out on us. And so what do we do? See, because for some of you, your faith is fading a bit. And you're falling into this temptation to think, man, maybe God doesn't have my back anymore. Doing the same thing Abram starts doing. Now let me give you this warning. Sometimes you'll go to God and you'll say, God, but when? how do I know? How do I know, God? How do I know I can trust you? And you hear something. Other times you go to, and you see something in his word. Other times you go to God and you're like, God, how do I know? And you hear nothing. That's exactly what happens to Job. In fact, God kind of tells Job just to be quiet. Stop asking this question. Like when our kids are like, why, why, why? Stop asking why. That's what God says to Job, but not to Abram. God gives Abram an answer. In the midst of his struggle to believe. And I want you to know this. It is okay for you in the midst of your doubt. Take those doubts right to God. Take your struggles right to God. It is okay. He wants you to go to him. Don't let your doubts keep you from him, but go right to him. And, and here's why. Because it's in the midst of those doubts. And it's in the midst of waiting. That Abram finds a greater So this is our second point, faith in waiting. So as you're waiting for God to deliver on all these promises that you're reading in the Bible, the strength to wait comes from where? Faith. But it's also in the waiting that your faith grows. In other words, the waiting is essential for you to grow your faith because you're doubting in the midst of the waiting. And so what's happening? Well, the waiting and the struggles are like a mirror to your faith that are showing you what's really going on. And so you see, oh man, my faith is not as strong as I thought it was now that these struggles are hitting, now that this waiting is hitting. So, so what do you do? You go and you rely on God and he renews your strength. Look at this. I mean, this, this, is, this is the spiritual pilgrimage we're all taking. So I, in Isaiah, we're told that strength will rise as we wait on the Lord. 2 Timothy 2.1 says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So, so watch what's happening here. It's in the waiting that you go to God, and it's in the waiting that you find the grace. And when you find the grace, the grace strengthens you. So w- waiting is essential. And it's in the waiting that Abram discovers the radical shocking nature of what Christianity really is. So Abram says, but God, how do I know you're going to give me my kids? God says, look up at the stars. And Abram's response is belief. And then look at what verse 6 says. This is one of the most important verses in the Old Testament. Listen up if you haven't been listening. It says, Abram believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, let me tell you what that means. Righteousness in this context means being made right with God. Now, how do you get right with God? By doing a bunch of good stuff, by trying really hard, by letting God know, like, God, look at how hard I'm trying down here. Nope. It says by faith, by belief. I can't tell you how many times I have talked with people, and they think that Christianity is about trying harder. Just make sure, as long as God knows that I'm trying so hard to be good, then that's what being a Christian is. But that's not what it is at all. Now, no wonder why so many people think that Christianity and every other religion are the same. 
check every other religion, here's how it would read. Abram obeyed, and God counted, to, counted it to him as righteousness. But that's not what it says. It's not that he obeyed, it's that he believed. This is grace. And it's very offensive for some people. Because acceptance should be earned. But that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is a religion of rebels, misfits, and scoundrels. This is where most of the work needs to be done in the church today. The world around us is desperately trying so hard to earn this acceptance from God, and that's not at all what Christianity is. Your friends, your family, your neighbors, they don't know that this is true. I'm telling you, they don't know it because I've talked to so many people who don't know it. They have a complete misconception of what Christianity is. We have a job to do in this. Paul, grace is available. Rest is available. Acceptance is available by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. Paul, Paul goes to great length. Paul dies for this truth to be known in the New Testament. And that faith alone, listen to this, that faith alone is the only remedy for the chaos of our world. This is our third point, obedience in waiting. So the strength of our society has a direct correlation to the strength of faith that we have. Now more than ever, our nation needs transformation. And what the Bible argues for is that transformation does not happen by politics. It does not happen by looking away Transformation happens by faith. Faith produces radical transformational obedience. Faith is what propels the Christian to be more Christ-like. More loving, more understanding, more, more able to forgive, even the ability to love your enemies. That's what faith will produce in you. Unplug a lamp and try to turn it on and it won't work. Try to obey God without faith, it doesn't work. You will not shine as a light. To be human, the way you're meant to be, requires faith in Christ. You've got to be plugged in. Many of you have been struggling with a particular sin. And you keep trying harder to stop sinning, and it's not working. You're focusing in on your obedience. Focus in on Christ. Fix your eyes on your sin and you will sin. Fix your eyes on Christ and he will deliver you. Let's look at what, let's look at what happens when you don't respond in faith in your waiting. Look at what happens. So this is our failure in waiting. You guys want to all go running back there and play with him, don't you? They need some water. The living water of Christ. This is our fourth point, failure in waiting. Look, so, so, so and, and by the way, warning, you're going to have to do earmuffs for your kids in a, in a second. So God has just reaffirmed the promise to Abram and Sarai. <laughs> Not adults, they can hear this. And 
saying, you're going to have a child. God's promising it. And Sarai doubts. It's been 10 years. All of us would do the same thing. So Sarai, what does she do? Come on, come on, what does she do? She takes the situation into her own hands. Don't look at the kids, look at me. Takes the situation into her own hands, exactly what you guys are doing every single day when your faith is failing you. And look at what she does. She puts her husband in the arms of another woman. The kids are running up on the stage. The experiment is failing. All right, I got to go back because you guys, this is so important for you to get. Okay, come on, come on, come on. So God has just reaffirmed the promise to them. And Sarai starts doubting. And she decides to take things in her own hands. And the way she does it, by taking her th- taking everything in her own hands is by placing another woman into her husband's arms. And Abram responds like a typical man will. He thinks it's a good idea. Don't offer that to your husband. By the way, so look at this dysfunctional relationship. So previously, this is earmuffs, Abram pimps out his wife and goes to Egypt so the Egyptians will have favor on Abram. Now we see Sarai pimping out her husband so that she can have a child. It's very dysfunctional. What I want you to see here is that Sarai's fear got the best of her. And it's happening, the same thing's happening to you. Her faith is fading and it's causing her to disobey God. Every sin is a sin of unbelief. That's what sin is, unbelief. And so if you're sinning, it means there's a belief problem. And what did it do? It caused despair for her, her husband, and this other woman that's involved. And this failure, this is what's crazy. This failure is exactly the same failure when Adam and Eve ate the fruit. Watch watch what the writer does. In Genesis 2, when Adam and Eve did what they did, it says, the woman said to her husband. This says, so Sarai said to her husband. Then Genesis 3, 17, you listened to your wife and took the fruit. Then Abram listened to his wife and took the woman. Genesis 3, 6. She took and gave to her husband. Sarai took and gave her to her husband. It's the same thing over and over and over and over again. The same mistakes. Sin, I want you to know this, sin is so alluring when you are scared. It looks like your way out. It looks like something that needs to be done in order for you to take things into your own hands. Take it into your own hands. You're scared. You're scared. You're ready to sin. It's about to happen. These verses are serving as a warning to all of us that we are all capable of this when we're operating out of fear. When your life isn't going the way you want it to go and you start getting scared, you're you're getting close to sin if you haven't already. Abram is the father of faith. That's what we say about him. And his faith is shaky. So why are you so anxious? Because you aren't trusting God. And what happens when you're not trusting God? You take everything in your own hands and you find yourself doing things you know you shouldn't do, but you can't help it. Why do you overwork? 
because you're taking things in your own hand. You're not trusting that God will provide. Why do you lash out at your kids? Because you're stressed. Why are you stressed does that? Stress makes like noise and chaos make you go, ah, and you lash out. Why are you stressed? Because you're not trusting God. And so you start lashing out. Everything is just, it's the core, it's the kernel. Everything is about faith. You need some help. Right? We all do. So what do you do? You go to God and you say, your faith is shaking. You say, but God, how do I know? How do I know? How do I know that I can trust you? Because it doesn't feel like I can. Did you hear what Harlow said? She said, because you're bigger. That's what you, that's, you go to God, you say, God, how do I know? And he says, because I'm bigger. I'm bigger than you. How do I know you're taking care of me, God? Because I'm bigger than you. How do I know that things are going to be okay? Because I'm bigger than you. How do I know that you haven't left me, God? Because I'm so big that I'm right in your face, you can't even see me here. So that brings us to the promise in our waiting. You have to go to God and you have to say it. God, how do I know I can trust you? Just be honest. I know that you don't trust him all the time. Go to him. And when you do, you get a vision of something. God dead. Look back at our verses. God makes a covenant with Abram. Now, what is a covenant? It is a promise that is sealed in blood. Basically, a a contract has just been written. And it's a contract that says, if you don't keep your end of the deal, death. So look at what happens. It's absolutely shocking. The readers would have known what was being read, what was being said at that time when it was first written. So God tells Abram, it's weird, I gotta I gotta just walk you through it. So God tells Abram to cut these animals in two. And then this smoking pot and this flaming torch pass right through these dead animals. That's the covenant. Everybody reading it at that time would have known what it was. And here's what it's saying. God himself, because this is the presence of God. This is how God is described. Like this is a theophany. God is here and he passes through these dead animals basically saying, I will bring you to the land and give you a child even if it means death for me. Now, it's shocking because God gives himself a death sentence here because Abram and Sarai will not keep their end of the deal and neither will the rest of humanity. Later on in the book of Leviticus, here's what God says. If you obey me, I promise I'm going to bless you. But if you disobey me, I promise you I will curse you. Whoa. But then God says, but I promise I'm going to obey you. And I promise I'm going to bless you no matter what. No matter what, you're going to be blessed. But if you disobey me, I promise you, you will be cursed. But if you, but no matter what, I'm going to bless you. So how could God make two promises at the same time? He can't unless he takes the curse himself so that we can be blessed. That's why God becomes a man, to take the curse that is deserved for humanity upon himself, dying the death that we deserve so we can be blessed. It's a beautiful story, and it is absolutely shocking for Abram, and it would have been shocking for the readers, and it ought to shock you today. That's what you have faith in, that promise. That God is faithful even unto the curse of death. Abram just gets a vision of it, but we have the picture of Christ hanging on a cross. Do you know in Galatians it says cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree? The tree is the cross. So when you say, but God, how do I know that I can trust you? Look at the cross. Come on, Grove. 
If you're wondering if you could trust God, look at what he's willing to do to get you. Do you think he's going to just let you waste your life? Do you think he's not going to be involved in each and everything that's happening in your life, sovereignly orchestrating everything to come together, even the waiting, and the waiting is going to be something that somehow leads you to him in all of a greater way? You've got to ask God right now, God, how do I know? Just do it. Just ask him, how do you know? And he says, look at the cross. He says, if I'm willing to do this for you, do you think I'm going to let the world get the best of you? If I am willing to do this for you, do you think I'm going to let death take you? No way. On the cross, he gets the curse of death so you could be blessed with life. He obeys his father and is disowned so you could be accepted even though you've disobeyed. The cross is proof that he will keep his promise. So when you're struggling and you're entering through difficulties, go to God and say, God, how do I know? And he will say, my child, I love you so much. Look at the cross. That is your proof. That is your proof through the wilderness. That is the proof through your wandering. That is the proof when you're waiting that I'm here with you. And I will walk right beside you the whole way. I will never leave you. I will not forsake you. And if you forget it, look back at the cross. All right, let's pray. God, we pray now that you would make us into people who trust you in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of doubts, that you would teach us how to wait and cry out to you in our waiting. God, we need you, and we love you. So as we sing, I pray that the strength would rise within us. Not our strength, but a strength that comes by faith in Christ alone. God, give us that gift that we don't deserve, but we so desperately need. And help us to learn how to come to you in need. And help us to sing as people who are sinners and misfits and scoundrels that have been saved by grace. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.